This is Jan Cox, talk number 2571, recorded August 30th, 2000. It says, news for a late summer eve, written especially for you on this auspicious occasion. It can be an expediently useful tactic to look upon and investigate your thinking, not as something active that you do, but rather as something passive that happens to you. A man who can see an advantage to this stance can then soon see an advantageous view of yet another matter in a similar fashion to wit. To look upon being asleep, not as a condition that you bring on yourself by your own unawakened actions, but instead as a condition to which you are a passive victim. To look for sleep is to be forced to believe, when you find it, that you caused it. How else could you be enticed to try to change the situation? A man genetically wired to be attracted to this affair, once he hears man described as being asleep, or in the condition of X or Y or whatever, he adopts the idea as his own. And since the idea has no point of original birth in him, that is, he did not create the idea, he has no way to profitably manipulate, analyze, or personally interpret it. His mind is stuck with having to take the idea just as he found it. A person without the prerequisite knowledge of the mind and how it works lives in a mental world wherein the laws of permissible thought are made by those thoughts already present. It is, so to speak, a land of logic wherein what is logical is whatever the land says is logical. It is a kingdom of reasonable ideas wherein what is reasonable is whatever the kingdom declares to be so. And it is a domain wherein truth is separated from fallacy based upon how the domain decides the separation is to be accomplished. Once the mind has taken in as its own the idea that it is asleep and deluded, there is no way out of the then perceived condition other than by getting unasleep and undiluted. Conditions that are no Conditions that are non-existent as per the view of the realm in which one sleeps. Surely among all of the things known to the life of man, the desire to awaken and be enlightened is the one most requiring of his most active participation. Huh? After all, sleeping is a passive act. Arousing oneself and arising therefrom is the active act. But is this so? It certainly sounds reasonable and logical, but is it truly so? What if the actual situation is a twisted version of the reasonably sounding one, and that being asleep is not a passive condition in which you allow yourself to engage, but is instead man's normal active mental condition? And then, waking up is not something that you actively do, but is rather a passive position you take in relationship to your natural active sleeping state. And who would have ever thunk it? 
What man could have ever conceived of it? A man who pays any serious attention to what his own mind says is unawakened to what his own... A man who pays any serious attention to what his mind says is unawakenable. A man who listens sincerely to anything his mind talks about cannot be enlightened. A man who has any relationship with his mind other than that of just looking at it will never realize what's been going on all this time. It can also be a profitable approach to not look upon your mind as being crammed of full of useless shit, but rather as having infinite room available, which is never used, which is the actual cause of your frustration with your mind. Consider it. Not too much thinking, but too little. Not too many ideas, but... Not enough. And if you get really good at getting in positions wherein you can hold such views, you can move on to the big one. Wherein you do not sleep too much, but not enough. Not enough to keep you from periodically having sufficient room in your mind to think, hmm, I'm asleep again. See, if you had filled up your mind completely with the idea that you are asleep, you couldn't have any such jarring, spasmodic episodes. You simply have to see the need to turn everything backwards to how your mind says that it should be. That may be more news than anyone expected on down near the last day of summer. But I have hinted and talked about such things piecemeal. Let's try the first part. This soul, according to the way I read it, and as I was listening, I listened to most of it as I was reading it. And I found it somewhat challenging as I was thinking about it, challenging in respect as to what I might contemporaneously say about it. But then I realized, well, I contemporaneously wrote it. But does it lend itself to any interpretation? It is almost the antithesis of interpretation anyway. But then again, if it was the true antithesis of interpretation, I could not have written it, nor read it, nor now be attempting to speak on it. Or, in the alternative, when you heard it, your mind would have exploded. And thus, no further comment would have been necessary. But since neither of those two possibilities apparently occurred, we shall, as you so succinctly put it, press on. I point out, this first part, what if it is backwards? What if it is an absolute reverse view to look upon the struggle? Let's try it the easy way first, I think as far as most minds go, that if the struggle, so-called struggle to achieve enlightenment, to awaken to another state of consciousness, the struggle, the effort 
the journey, the trip, the great secret work, all being, not surprisingly, active, containing active verbs that they appear to be, and, pardon the redundancy, but an active act. But as you should know, an act actually has more than one definition. So from one view, saying active act is not redundant because there is such thing as a passive act. But at any rate, would not, amongst all the things, would it not seem to one of our sort that once you have adopted the idea that man is somehow asleep, deluded, in the dark, confused, not as conscious as he should be, has anyone ever noted that it's always should be and not could be? You know why? You ever think about it? It is quite difficult to attract attention on the basis of what could be. It would be within spitting distance of impossible for instance, to establish a viable religion on the basis that man could do better. No, 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 no. Man should do better. The mind does not come forth with these self-appointed alleged reports from the gods saying, you people should do better. I mean, that you people could do better. There are always you should do better. It is never on the basis that if you didn't kill your neighbor and then go after his wife and his oxen, uh, your life would probably be better. It says it would be better. And if not now, which is problematic, after you die. And of course, the gods then say, that is, read the mind, say, trust us. If there's anything that has never returned from the dead besides a man's body, what is it? His mind. If you look around, most people's minds, from one view, never even reach the level of being hardly alive. And for, and for them to bring back reports. But then again, if you get to where you can twist around your mind the way that I keep encouraging you, even that makes sense. Since they know, since the mind knows so little about the living, hey, why not become an expert about death? Well, now that I started this, you could go off, <laughs> get into the mind of your typical priest or rabbi or, and ask it to describe, for instance, the den in which he writes his sermons. Just to describe it. To describe, in other words, if you know what I'm getting at, to describe the actual physical circumstance of his daily environment. Of course, you can try it. He would be hard-pressed to come up with anything that would be very expansive. And yet, this same person, you say, can you describe what it will be like after we die? Oh, have a seat. <laughs> They'll talk to you until moss grows on you. Describing the torments and detail of hell and the great rewards of abiding by their religion. But back to where we were. Does anybody remember where we were? 
You continue to fall for that, don't you? You people on tape, by the way, the, nobody here falls for it anymore. If I stop and really look like, well, where was I? And I look like somebody helped me. For you people out of town that are listening on tape, if you worry about this, like if you're concerned and you're glad you're not here, that I might look at you and you couldn't remember where I was. Nobody here takes it seriously anymore just to make you feel good. They just stare back at me blankly. <laughs> Which I interpret in a positive manner. I interpret it to mean like, it matters. <laughs> Which, of course, is a sure sign of increasing understanding. <laughs> so I'll do this one. All right, so back where I was. And see, I can start most anywhere. And who's, and who's going to say, that's not exactly where you got off the subject. Once you have adopted, once a person has adopted the idea that man could internally, mentally, consciously be in a different condition, that his mind could operate consistently in a different fashion, then without question, the effort to achieve this, without any question, it belies logic to consider it otherwise, without question, it then presents itself as being an active challenge, requiring active effort. The struggle to self-remember, the struggle to be eternally mindful, the effort required to repeat the blessed name of Buddha or Swami X with each and every breath, that takes effort. And it would appear to be that this state that's some of those of our sort that went before us decide to call being asleep, living in a dream, would appear to be passive. And again, I point out the allegory, the simile, is quite apt about being awake or being asleep in a metaphorical sense because in the literal sense, a person asleep, laying in their bed asleep, it is a passive act by any reasonable judgment. You simply lay down and you go unconscious. It doesn't require effort to go to sleep. You don't have to in the middle of the night get up and do some sort of push-ups or exercises to keep yourself asleep. It would appear to be passive. And on the contrary, it would appear to be require an active exercise of muscles, will, in the morning when the alarm goes off and you do not want to get up, that it would have appear to be surely an active bit of behavior to arouse yourself from sleep. And no less so does it appear to be so in the metaphorical sense, does it? That all this effort to try and keep my mind under control, to try and pacify the ever-changing rambling of thought, or to try and hold in mind the word elevator, that all of this requires effort. It is an active undertaking to try and achieve awakening to experience enlightenment. But I say that there is another way of looking at it, and not just theoretically, as always, or I wouldn't have brought it up. I have found it, I did find it to be of use, and... If nothing else, for the time being, if you try and follow this, it requires an exercise of normally unused, quote, muscles of your mind 
to even comprehend what I'm pointing to because it appears to be absolutely opposed to everything that I've ever talked about or everything, and not just because I said it, but everything that would appear to be reasonable vis-a-vis the idea that man is asleep and can, through certain efforts, through certain efforts, not through certain faith, not through certain reading about it, but the classic idea being, quote, that man is lazy to wake and conscious, whereas, in fact, he is living in a dream, but through certain known efforts, methods, he can truly awaken and achieve full consciousness or a greater state of consciousness. Not that anything resembling a, a valid statement concerning this kind of activity, it does not say that through having faith, through following some guru, through, through having faith in some teaching, through reading some book, through taking some course, through a lifetime of living under certain monastic conditions, through certain known efforts, a man can change, a man can awaken, and a man can increase his consciousness. So by all reports, not just because I said it, check with your own mind. By all reports, there's no question. No one ever thinks otherwise. No, no one's mind. That's why I said, who ever thunk it? No one, at least I've ever heard of, no one has ever said that it could be backwards. It just, it belies any reasonable view, and it seems to belie the experience even of those who have so long and faithfully struggled to awaken. But try and follow it. You people stuck around this long, how about this? If I was able to think it, you are probably able to see what it is I thunk. Oh, you may not want to put forth the effort. Uh-oh. Here it is. Again, I'll try to simplify it or expand on it. Rather than the struggle to awaken being something that a person actively undertakes. Notice I didn't say in the paper that I wrote that it's the opposite. I said, what if it's a twisted version? Because it wouldn't truly be the opposite even by one of my torted verbal models. I would still be stretching it to say that it would be the opposite of that. But what if it is a twisted version? Because anything that you attempt to do requires some active effort. But what if the reality, the reality, not the imagined reality of what being awake is, what being enlightened is, but the reality behind it, behind all the words, behind all the bullshit, behind all the dreams, yours, mine, everyone else's, what if it could be profitably seen as being a passive undertaking? I can't resist, as I often have done of late. Wouldn't that answer at least one big question, which should be a big question with everyone, to wit, why do I not accomplish more through my efforts? Why does it seem to be such a vaporous undertaking? Why do the rewards seem to be so elusive? Now, of course, you can, a person's mind here there can say, and I'm sure some of your minds has said, 
that you're just looking for a cheap way out. And I shouldn't be listening to my mind say that. But what if I agreed? What if I agreed that under all normal conditions of a person sincerely, as much as possible for them, sincerely, blah, 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 struggling with the idea of stabilizing their consciousness, stopping thought, bringing thought under control, separating consciousness from the incessant mechanical flow of thought, any description you want, that a person sincerely applied themselves to it, I say that it is not a disingenuous view after a lifetime of doing it, after decades of doing it for a person, no matter the culture, no matter the approach they took, for a person in private, not to whine, not to complain, but for a person to have a view that the rewards they have received from their effort do not seem to match their effort. Taking into consideration that you could be wrong. But they do not seem to match. And especially if you ever hear the stories about the guy that delivers, remember the boy that delivers a pizza up to his monastery and just happens to walk in the middle of some old sage giving an offhand commentary about being asleep and being awake. And this pizza delivery boy just hears about two or three senses of it and suddenly wakes up. The rewards do not seem appropriate to the effort. I say that such a view under the right conditions of the right person is not untoward. And so would not what I am suggesting as one possibility be a response to that, be the answer. That the adequate reward, the true payoff, or the ultimate payoff, does not come through an active doing of something. But of assuming a passive position in regard to the undesirable state. But then I can just hear somebody's mind saying, how can something be changed by you taking a passive approach? Well, I don't know. I don't can't answer every goddamn question you have. Yes, I can. I just said that to get a laugh. They ease the tension for all you people thinking, wait a minute. How am I going to quit trying? How am I going to quit trying to awaken? Hey, don't make me laugh. How are you going to quit trying? Well, how can I quit trying so hard? Hey, now you're about to make me bust a gut. How am I going to cut back on my efforts to awaken? Hey, get serious. Don't sit there and jive me. Do you realize, if you're following this just even verbally, do you realize that what I'm saying, prima facie, is insane? Are you logical? That based upon everything just about that I've ever said, again, not that I am the benchmark, but they call it the proof of Allah. I'm not the proof of it being true, but what I have been saying about the effort, making the effort to awaken, whatever we call it for the moment, that my description of it being effort is absolutely in line with everything you've ever heard anything that's ever been said about this, and everything that you now think about it. The truth requires effort. If it didn't require effort, I would have had it a long time ago. 
it didn't require effort. I guess everybody could do it. Blah, blah, it goes on and on. So the idea that the proper approach might be one of passivity absolutely belies all logic, and I don't mean in the academic sense, but de defies all logic about the matter. And yet I tell you that I can see, just as clear as I can see you sitting here, I can see that that is a proper view. Or more to my way of putting it, I can see that is not an improper view. I can see that as being a useful, a practical, not improper view of how the matter is. When I first thought about this, also, almost immediately it struck me, kind of peripheral matters that you might find of interest and perhaps would be useful. Other corollary matters almost immediately followed, such as, what is the most time-honored, most widely used so-called method to attempt awakening? Sitting meditation. It is, in part, a passive act. I'm not saying that the people who promote it and those who engage in it understand it, but it is, in part, a passive act, because in the real classical sense of, quote, sitting meditation, great emphasis, extreme emphasis is placed upon the matter of you sitting perfectly still. And then I'm aware of the kinds of attempted explanations they give for this exhortation that it, you know, the still body is conducive to a still mind and blah, blah, blah. As always, the mind can explain. The mind can find a reason for doing anything and prove it <clears throat> to itself. But notice what I was trying to get you to consider. My insinuation, if I didn't make it clear, is that those engaged in it and those who promote it did not look at the matter did not look at the mind and their approach to awakening in the way I'm describing tonight. That was not the purpose in them coming up with the idea of sitting meditation. And yet, what they came up with, just coincidentally, is in large part a passive activity. That for the moment, lay aside what the person is supposedly, or is directed to be trying to do in their mind that first off, they must sit perfectly still. They must get in a position wherein they can, in a non-stirring manner for a long period of time, be a passive thing. They would probably want to say passive vessel, but a passive thing. There was one old Zen master that did ask, I think he was supposedly around a monastery for 40 or 50 years, and then one day he looked around and asked, what good is it going to do, or what, how is it going to lead to, to awakening? He looked around the hall, including himself, and said, how, well, what, how is this going to lead to awakening, us sitting around like a bunch of lumps of dirt? I think he said, shit. And he got up and left, supposedly. But, back to the general view, my general view of the history of it, is that something led them into this 
most popular uh, so-called approaches and attempts, disciplines, to lead to awakening, sitting meditation, that it is in large part a passive undertaking. But then they've got the both the best and the worst of both possible approaches, then you're supposed to be engaged in an active attempt to do something. And here it can get tricky because many times the active attempt is to let the mind on its own become still, which would appear to be a passive undertaking. It's just let thoughts come and go and don't fool with them. And if you don't watch it, you go, well, they are describing a passive activity. No, they told you to do it. You went, okay, I will. I went to all that trouble to get to here, and that's what I got. Well, that is why I got to the last bit of news today that may have made, I assumed would make at the time even less sense. And that is, not changing the subject, just changing the view of it. According to all the ways I talk about normally, and again, uh, I am in line with just the historical palaver on the subject and your own internal yammering, that the mind, your consciousness, under all normal, mechanical, left-alone conditions, The problem is, it's too active, it's too crammed full of crap. It is an an endless medium, an endless outlet, an endless passageway for redundant, useless conversation, commentary. And again, I might point out the classic uh, methods of so-called sitting meditation. I normally described as being for the purpose of calming one's mind, clearing one's mind eventually, so that it is not, so that the person is not subject to this closet full, about to burst, you would hope, at the hinges, closet full of useless crap. But what if that's not so? Does it not seem, or would it not be, would not everyone agree if, if you hadn't been forewarned? that what's irritating about a man's ordinary state of consciousness for people like us is that it is just crammed full when left to its own devices. If you are not actively attempting to control it, actively attempting one of the methods of trying to continually watch your own mind, continually remember the blessed name of so-and-so, all being attempts, to push out of the way, to elbow out some, and then eventually all of this crap, and replace it with good crap, good stuff, good stuff. Or as I put it to you before, recently, people like us, once you read about that man's asleep, and that he can awaken to another state, then you have this one thought, this one idea of awakening. And this one idea, whenever it is in your mind, considers all other, gives it no thought, no analyzation. It is a done deal. To that one thought, it is a fait accompli, the fact that the rest of your thoughts, 
all the rest of your thoughts are inferior, most so inferior that they should be abandoned or done away with. So, is it not correct? Check for yourself. That would be an acceptable description of what being asleep is, is that consciousness, your mind, is just crammed full. It just stays busy despite your best efforts, or unless you are making your absolute best efforts, it is just full. It is just an endless parade of useless garbage. And unless you're making some sustained, active effort, it's non-ending. You don't have breathing space. You, If you come to, so to speak, if you come to your senses... If that one idea of being awake comes to mind and then you have this jarring, spasmodic moment of, oh, there I was back in it, up to my earlobes in the shit, back in the septic tank. There I was. The feeling is, I just barely, it's just that one thought feels like I just barely have room. I just barely have the strength to be here. I'm overwhelmed. Because the rest of your mind, it says, the rest of, you know, to you it'd be, the rest of your mind is just crammed full of these opposing, useless, asleep, deluded, mechanical thoughts. What if the opposite view would be more practical? What if it, in fact, is more defensible? That what's irritating is not your mind being crammed full of crap, but that your mind is not crammed full of crap. Remember last week I brought it up that from one absolute observable model, a description of the mind is that it is boundless and it is unstable, but it is boundless. Those of you who are here, it means actually the same thing. But it is boundless. What if what is irritating people such as us is not that the mind is crammed full of crap, but that it is not crammed full of crap. Because if it were indeed crammed full of crap, there'd be no problem. What if it is the matter that the mind is infinite and it cannot be crammed full of anything? And it being just partially filled and partially filled with crap at that is man's normal state and that normal people don't notice it. Because if it's, your, if it's man's normal state and you're a normal person, why would you notice it? There's nothing to notice. You don't notice that you're alive. You're not walking along the street or sitting at your desk and go, My God, I'm alive! <laughs> well, you don't walk in the bathroom, look in the mirror, in shock to see that you're you. Ridiculous. I was trying to, I was afraid you people missed it. I said it twice. If the mind, being only partially filled, and partially filled with crap at that, is man's normal state, and you're normal, then you don't notice it. That's why someone who has some, that's why someone who has adopted the idea that man's asleep cannot tell ordinary people. Even though most of you chuckle when I say, even though I assume we have all tried somewhere in the past. You simply can't do it. 
no matter their intelligence, no matter their education, their hipness. If a person is not already wired up, if they're not a born addict, just waiting to hear, man thinks he's awake and conscious, but he's not. If you're not born with an absolute predisposition, if you're not just an addict waiting for the addiction to fall upon you, then you'll never hear it. You can't hear it. It's not because you're stupid. If you're a normal person and man's normal state is for his mind to be just partially filled, partially used, and partially used with meaningless crap at that, the part that is used, with very little exception as always, the exceptions, I say little exceptions, little in quantity, but large in quality, because the mind, when it is doing something useful, can be life-saving, and is certainly life-enhancing to us all. But the rest of the time, not, that notwithstanding, the rest of the time, I say, this open, of course, to anyone's observation, you people know by now, or you still wouldn't be here, you observe what goes on, unless your mind is engaged in specific survival-enhancing, life-enhancing task. The rest of the time, what goes on in there, to be charitable, is shit. It's meaningless. And if you want to awaken, if you're the sort that hears the idea that man's asleep and can awaken, and then you adopt that idea as yours, then you don't like what's going on in your mind. Nobody has to tell you. But remember, if that is man's ordinary state, and you're ordinary then there's nothing to talk about. You don't even notice it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't notice it. No one, I, I, neither I nor you or anyone else can say to an ordinary, a normal person, an ordinary person, say, do you realize that most of what goes on in your mind is meaningless? They might. Just to be truthful, you might get someone going, well, yeah, a lot of daydreams are just bullshit. Yeah, I know that. You go, no, no, no. Almost everything that goes on that passes through your mind from the time that you become conscious time you begin to consciously think, two or three years old, until the day you die, 99%, just almost all of it is just meaningless, redundant, just meaningless bullshit. Do you realize that? And they go, well, no, you know, you're overdoing it now. No, that's not true. Now I go, well, it is true. And I think what gets me is, are you telling me that that doesn't bother you? By then, you're bothering them. Because they're beginning to think... Well, you're insane. What the hell are you talking about? It only bothers people who hear that it should bother them. And as soon as they hear it go, I'm bothered. That is a variation of it's only a few people who read or hear man's asleep. And as soon as those few people hear it, they go, my God, that's it. I'm asleep. But if you're normal, then what is man's normal mental state? is normal to you, and therefore, nothing can be said about it. You can't describe, nobody's surprised that they're alive. Nobody's surprised that their state of mind, if they're normal. What if, as I'm presuming to you, what if the problem is not that your consciousness is taken up day and night, but primarily daytime, I assume, I don't know, no offense, but I, we're just guessing that very few of you, if any, are down to trying to wake up while physically asleep at night. Not that that's not interesting. 
But don't take up a second hobby until you get the first one down. But what if it is not a problem that consciousness is taken up by meaningless bullshit, by sleeping thoughts, that, it, that the brain, that part of the brain that we call consciousness and the mind, is not almost totally taken up by what we call sleeping activities, unenlightened thinking, redundant, mechanical, associative, meaningless commentary on life. Meaningless. What if that is not the problem? What if that is not the source of the irritation? What if the irritation is actually caused by the fact that there's not enough going on in your mind? What if it can't be filled? Of course, I'm saying what if rhetorically. All you got to do is just snap out of it as much as you, most, all of you, understand for yourself in a lucid moment now, all you got to do is just snap to attention for a second and you realize that the mind of man is never, the idea of it being filled is ridiculous. The idea of it even being sizably, substantially filled is ridiculous. With the mind not boundless, we would not have conflicting opinions and views. And before some ordinary person jumps up and hollers, well, that would be great. You know it wouldn't, or you're supposed to. If a man's mind could be filled, if men's minds could be filled, then by now, probably within two or three, I don't know, two or three, either years or generation after Adam left the garden, after consciousness fell upon the brain of man, we would have had a cessation of conflicting views. There would have been only one view. And I point out to you that whatever progress had been made in those two or three generations, that would be where we'd be sitting today. Perhaps we would have had the wheel. I'm going to tell you what, you can't get much speed on the Autobahn having a stone wheel. But that's where progress would have stopped were it not for the fact that we had conflicting views, diverse opinions, life would not be as it is. And we would not have diverse and conflicting opinions and views were it not for the fact that the mind is boundless and that the mind is never full. That should be obvious once I say it. Now back to you. Can you consider the possibility that what that a cure of the irritation would be if you could fill up, I won't even say all, but what if you could fill up more of the mind? I don't know about you, but I'm, as always, when I come up with something in the description I know belies or confounds ordinary reason. And it takes no great effort, but I put myself as best as possible back in time relative to whenever I had this view and this view came to me. Anyway, I put myself back in time mentally and tried to imagine, well, if I had just heard this instead of me thinking it, instead of it coming to me, if I had read this or heard somebody say it, what would have been my immediate reaction? That's why I try to back up sometimes and take into consideration 
or say things such as, watch it that your mind doesn't say so-and-so. As you know, it's not me being insulting or feeling or acting superior to you. I'm just trying to take into account, most likely, the way the mind would react to this when it first hears it. And most of this, the closer I feel that I get, the more I am satisfied that I'm getting closer to describing what's really at the bottom of all this, the more it strikes me that most people's minds have an immediate negative reaction to it. That is because some of it sounds, I would assume, prima facie, so illogical, so unreasonable, that perhaps even I misspoke. That it sounds like just the opposite of something that perhaps I said or read yesterday or this morning. You've got to admit, now once or twice a year, I'll pull this on you. And here it comes. What if you could go even faster asleep? What if you could go to sleep completely? Can you tell me, do you know for a fact that that would not be the same thing as being awake? What if just the room you had in your mind now, forget about it being infinite, and forget about the challenge of filling it up completely. What if we took the situation of all people such as us, the situation where you have this one thought, this one idea of awakening, and then all these other thoughts that have no interest in awakening. All the other thoughts are sleeping thoughts, let's call them. What if you could? It's not a good word that I'm satisfied with this. What if you could drive out? What if you could increase your sleeping thoughts to such a degree that they constructively drove out or drowned it out or swamped that one idea of awakening? So that no longer were you mostly asleep with periodic disturbing or periodic momentary bouts of coming to your senses, of waking up. What if it became a situation wherein what you now would think of, and what I describe as being asleep, if that was your constant. Constant. You understand what constant means? It means without interruption. That that was your constant state. Would you then actually be, and I'm talking about us, not ordinary people. I'm talking about you, people like us. Would you then be, whoa, big time asleep, or would you be something that wouldn't be asleep? And no matter what you say, answer me this. How would you know? Because to know, you'd have to, quote, wake back up a little. And when you did, you'd go, uh-oh, I was asleep before I had this thought again. And then if I were there in your head, I'd grab you by your neural throat and try and squeeze and shake it and say, don't you get it? Don't you see what just happened? And as your eyes bulge, you go, what, what, where, where? But see, of course, that's too late. But then, of course, that was the announced topic of today's sermon, which I didn't repeat. It's always too late. That's the only reason anyone's asleep. It's too late. You heard the idea, man's asleep. And you went, that's it. But see, now you're too late. If you had known that before you read it, it wouldn't be too late. But now it's too late because now you know it. Those of you that would like still another interpretation of that good old... 
biblical notion, which was not original with the Jews, but the idea that man at one time ate of a forbidden substance, that he stole a secret manuscript from God, from Jehovah, from the Creator, and therefore gained unholy, forbidden knowledge. And of course, the knowledge, they usually say, is between right and wrong. Or sometimes some of the older myths and stories don't really go into it. You just sold God's secrets. What if what that actually represents, hint, 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 wink, 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 what if what that actually represents, without people knowing it who conjured up the stories, but that the minds were reflecting the fact that once you become conscious, you have taken a step that is irreversible and to a few, and it would be the kinds of people who made up the stories that are in Genesis, those kind of mythical creation stories, and especially the ones when men first began to be conscious, and that is, began to hear the voice of God, when what they were hearing was their own brain speaking. But people such as made up those stories, those who wrote the so-called books of the Bible, to some degree, most of them, the ones I've glanced through, were people, I'll just give them credit, that had some interest in matters similar to our kind of interest. And so the matter, the story of original man, or that man somewhere in the past having transgressed, and the transgression being that he came in possession of some knowledge that he shouldn't have had, what was that knowledge? With ordinary people, it's no knowledge. With ordinary people, it's whatever their holy book tells them. It's whatever society, the pressures of life that creates civilization, tells them. That is the Ten Commandments. All that's irrelevant to us. What is it that happens with people like us? The forbidden knowledge is... It's just one piece of knowledge. It says, you're asleep, but you can't wake up. That's when you're driven from the garden, people like us. In a wider metaphorical sense, humanity is. I've been through that before. But I'm telling you, there's no way to look at it on a much more specific individual basis, specialized basis, applicable to us, people like us. You get the idea. So you didn't invent it. You didn't create it. You learned of it. And if you were wired up with the addiction, the potential addiction, as soon as you read it, heard about it, you adopted it. That was, from one view, our forbidden knowledge. It is now like you stepped on a piece of toilet paper and for the rest of your life, you can't shake it loose from your foot. But what if the continual shaking is not the way to go about it? That's active. Based upon that re reaction, I rest my Sherman. My case. My case is Sherman. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.